2: Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode 61. First of all, happy holidays to all and happy upcoming new year. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Whether you're a new listener or you've been on this journey with us for the past year or so, we're grateful that we're able to share all these stories with you. And together, we're able to learn from these millionaires about how they invest and their stories and and how they allocate all their investments and their assets. If you enjoy the show, leave a review on iTunes and subscribe to it. It helps us reach new millionaires and continue to tell some of these amazing stories. And to that end, if you are a millionaire or close to reaching millionaire status and would like to share your story and your investing strategies and your asset allocation, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we'd love to set up a time with you. Last week's episode was with Michael Blank. Michael is a big multifamily real estate investor and has a recent book called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And with him, we discuss the advantages of multifamily investing and why he believes multifamily is better than single family. We also discuss his journey to investing, including a couple failures that he's had along the way. So if you didn't listen to that episode, check out that episode with Michael Blank. This week's episode is with Joe Joe is an IT professional worth $1.75 million. He's married with one kid, and his wife works in HR. He's about 80% invested in stocks, 20% in bonds, and he discusses how he was able to grow his net worth, the mistakes he's made along the way, and he provides some great advice on continuing to grow your net worth and, and investments. Next week's episode is a terrific in- episode with Vien. She left Indonesia as a refugee and went to australia where she picked up her life and is now a pharmacist her net worth is 1.6 million she has about 1.3 in real estate 200,000 in business equity and 90,000 in cash among a few other holdings she talks about her journey from refugee to millionaire and about her career as a pharmacist we also have a great upcoming guest interview in mid january that's with chris hogan he talks about his new book that comes out in the new year titled Everyday Millionaires. So some great episodes coming up, some great interviews we've recently had, but without further ado, let's get into this week's episode with the IT professional,
0: Joe. Joe, do you want to give us a little bit of your background and what you're doing now?
1: Sure. I'm uh, 45 years old, uh, married with uh, one child, a son who's 14, and I work in the IT field, and my wife works in HR.
0: Awesome. And how long have you been in the IT field? Uh, for about twenty-two years. Okay, so you pretty much started that right out of college, then.
1: I did. Yeah, I had right community college.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is your net worth today?
1: Uh, right about one point seven five million.
0: Nice. And how is that broken up?
1: Well, it's we use Vanguard, and I'm invested eighty percent within various mutual funds in stock, eighty percent stock, twenty percent bonds, and we are sixty percent U.S. and forty percent international.
0: About how much of that is in retirement versus taxable accounts?
1: You know, I don't know the exact breakout, but uh, uh, when I sent you a, a kind of a sheet of everything had together, I should—I didn't break that out. That's a good question because uh, some of it we have in traditional IRA, some in Roth. You know, some of it's uh, a four hundred one k rollover, so it, it really is kind of mixed up. Okay. Within. Our Vanguard account, and I also have 401k. That's with T row and one with Principal. So <laughs> you kind of have stuff all over the place.
0: Oh, nice. And then you you've got a little bit of cash, and then some home equity as well. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. And is your allocation always kind of been that since you started investing right at you know right out of, after college?
1: No. When we first started investing, it was primarily just to our, our 401k. And um, that's all we did, and we saved cash, and we got to a point where we knew we needed a financial advisor, and my wife confided in um, her manager, who I think he had a lot of stock options, things like that. And he retired early, and uh, we went with the same uh, invest, uh, investment advisor that he used, and uh, so we used him for a little while, and he got us pretty much in the same you know Vanguard mutual funds that we could have you know pretty much invested in our own. So we. Got rid of him and went through Vanguard, and we still use an advisor just to kind of help us manage our funds to have our 80/20 uh, breakdown, our 60/40, you know, with the uh, international U.S. So,
2: yeah, so let's talk about that financial advisor. You know, a lot of people ask us what percent of your millionaires that you've interviewed use a financial advisor. So when did you deem that was necessary? And, and will you always stay with the financial advisor and, and, you know, have you been happy with the services they've offered you?
1: It was probably about 10 years ago, I would say, is when we decided to go with the financial advisor. And aside from the fees that we have from the first advisor, we've been really happy. And I think they just, you know, even if you think you don't need one, I think they kind of keep you on course. If anything, they'll protect you from yourself and you not doing something rash with your
2: money, so... Sure, just kind of act as a double checker on on some of the decisions you made. So, how do, how do you pay them? What what percent of assets or return, or how do they structure their their fees to you?
1: I'll have to I'll have to log into my Vanguard account. I'm not sure the specifics, but I mean, the fees are really low compared to the last advisor we had. What that as percentage, I I forget what it is or how many basis points, but it's it's pretty low. It's, Gotcha. I have to look it up. I apologize.
2: No, that's all right. And just kind of curious about the dynamic here. So, does do you kind of say, "Hey, this is the the allocation we want to take. We're interested in stocks and bonds, and and we're interested more in U.S. versus international." Or does he say, "Hey, this is what I recommend. This is what's made my clients happy, and and this is what I recommend you do."
1: We actually kind of guided our advisor. You know, we told him what risk factor we had. And I think we kind of guided him also on how much international we wanted as well.
2: Yeah, because just looking through, I mean, you have the most just for our listeners. You have about four hundred thousand in the Vanguard, you know, total stock market index VTSAX, and then the next would be the Vanguard Total International Stock Index, about two hundred and fifty grand, and then a hundred thousand in. This DFA global allocation, but all Vanguard funds and, you know, mixed between index and stocks and bonds, international and domestic. Exactly. So what do you, I know you said you haven't tracked your historical ROI, but you think it's probably around
1: 8%? I would say probably. Um, In past years, it was probably lower, but uh, I would say it's probably between, yeah, probably 5
2: to 8%. And you said you started investing in, in 96 or so so maybe talk about that story were your parents big savers did you come from a, a wealthy home or a frugal home or you know middle class or lower class and how did you kind of learn to get started in this investing world and then make it to be you know you're almost worth two million dollars now
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I owe a lot to it a lot of it to my upbringing I was brought up middle class I had a brother and um, my dad mostly who's a Really frugal, a really good saver, but also an investor. So he kind of passed some things on to uh, us. like kind of stock, So especially gotcha. like and stock he's- dividends. And yeah, he likes to invest in, uh, I think, some individual stocks more. So he has a higher risk towards, I think, than I do. I'm more of a mutual funds so ETF index fund type guy. Well, he was a, uh, you know, he pick a specific stock, you know, based on his research. So i kind of different in that way.
2: And and so it's always been that way for you. You haven't kind of gone that single stock route before.
1: We experimented a little bit with level three. It's been some years where that stock, we used to buy it. It'd go up, you know, a dollar here or there. And it would, every three months, it seemed to be in a cycle. It would go up and down. And we used to buy that, sell it like a, like a three month rhythm until that stopped. And I think level three had some issues. And so, We finally did, you know, we made money every time, but it took longer to get our last profit with that stock before we decided no more. (laughs) So, and then we just stuck with (laughs) with the index funds from then on
2: out. So, yeah. Do you remember at what age you hit your first million?
1: No, I was just talking with my wife about that over dinner. It was before we were 40. So we were guessing about 39.
2: 39. and, And you graduated college at, I don't know, what, 22, 23 or so, I assume?
1: Right about there,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. So about about seventeen years or so, and and so obviously the second million's come quicker, a lot quicker.
1: Right, we're getting close. Yeah, we'll, the second one will come much faster. Yeah.
2: And did you guys do anything to celebrate that first that million, or or did the day kind of just keep moving?
1: No, I think when we first realized it, it was kind of like, oh, you know, just kind of realized it and uh, just you know, just another day, really.
2: Yeah. Did you ever have a goal, you know, looking back, growing up or when you were working, was that ever a goal to hit a million or was it kind of just, hey, I'm going to keep saving, I'm going to keep investing and, and just, you know, build for retirement or, or was a million dollars a goal?
1: No, I don't think I ever had a goal of a, a certain dollar amounts. It was just to keep saving, you know, keep plugging away, have more uh, every day.
2: Do you have a goal now? Is there a net worth goal or a passive income goal or, or any sort of goal there financially now for you guys?
1: I think we, me and my wife, agreed that like three million was kind of the number. I think I'm 45 now, and my goal is in five years to just work part time. So regardless of of what number we're at, and my wife, she intends to work a little bit longer. I think she's going to work at least another 10 years full time.
0: You brought up something earlier about risk and, and risk tolerance between you and your, and your father. Where would you say your risk is on the spectrum? And has your risk tolerance changed now that you've kind of achieved a certain level of wealth?
1: It has. The, the more I've learned, the higher my risk tolerance has gone. I'm not sure if I should say this now, but I know one of your later questions is probably a bad financial mistake. And one was during the great recession where with my 401k, I actually pulled things, everything to bonds when things, you know, the stock prices were dropping and uh, you know now i realized it was a huge mistake i probably lost out on a lot of gains a couple years before i put it back you know i think now it, it, when we first got a financial advisor too my risk tolerance was 60 percent equities 40 percent bonds and that was you know probably three years ago i remember saying that and now it's more 80 20 but understanding you know uh Index funds and especially S and P index funds and their history. Just knowing you know what they'll do long long term and not really worrying about when there's drops or anything like that. So my I'd say my risk tolerance has definitely gone up, but not so much to uh, picking individual stocks though.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there, and and the, Warren Buffett has been notorious for saying that. Hey, when I die, like tell my wife to put my money in index fund. For the majority of people out there. Index funds, mutual fund type products are going to be their best bet. Take us back to maybe the 22, 23-year-old Joe, and you're just starting your first job. What was your approach investing in your 401k? Were you maxing it out every year? Was it kind of a, hey, I'll put some money here when I you know have some extra money?
1: Yeah, initially, I think I probably just contributed to the match. And it was probably just because I wasn't making a lot of money. We were still paying back uh, student loans, you know, for my wife. So I think we were trying to kind of build that emergency fund initially, you know, pay off loans. We had some consumer debt, so I think we were probably contributing maybe three to five percent initially, and it just slowly ramped up until we started making more money, and then it just hurt less to kick up the percentage for a 401k until we hit the maximum.
0: And now, and for the last several years, I'm assuming you've maxed out those those 401k retirement plans?
1: Yeah, it's probably been at least eight years, if not more.
0: Okay. So, you shared with us offline that your wife has been a little bit more aggressive or willing to be more aggressive, and you've been the cautious one. How does and and then you know, since that whole is kind of taking place over the years, you, you're kind of both more on the same page now. Talk about that dynamic a little bit. What did it take to get you all on the same page? And what were those conversations like when your wife was wanting to be more aggressive than than you were?
1: You know, it really, it came down to me just doing more <laughs> and hearing it from somebody else. I know it sounds bad. Sometimes you have to hear it from someone else, you know, yeah, you know, we didn't really have any arguments over, you know, we, we had slight differences. I mean, I mean, we were a really good team for years. So our differences, you know, in investment philosophy and things like that, were pretty, you know, small. But so we've always both been savers, which helped. And you know, we were both willing to put in good chunks of money to a four hundred one k. So,
2: what do you think your savings rate has been? How much do you, How much do you guys save a year?
1: You know, that's a really good question. I have not calculated that. I probably should. So, I mean, maybe rough rough estimate would maybe be 25%. And that's including like a four k you know, what we put into 401k.
2: Sure, sure. So, between you and your wife, who, who takes the control on the finances? Or is that something you guys work with together? Or how does that work?
1: We do it together. But my wife, I would say, commands most of the uh, duties with, with that.
2: Gotcha. Do you guys budget? Do you, are you a meticulous budgeters or, or are you just kind of aware of your spending and, and don't budget as much?
1: Yeah, we, we do not. We have, I don't think we've ever set a budget. We just, we, we avoid, you know, lifestyle creep, I think it helps out. We, we live pretty simply. So we always have a surplus and well, you know, and all the while we've been working, our incomes have, you know, also gone up and, you know, we haven't really increased our lifestyle that greatly so that that helped out
2: do you know what you spend a year
1: i don't i would have to calculate i don't know the exact number
2: no i I think it's great advice though in in not you know increasing your spending and i think that's a sentiment that many of our millionaires have shared is saying hey when you get a bigger bonus or you get a raise you know throw that money at the investing or if you have debt throw it at debt and kind of keep living at the same rate that you've been so one of the pieces of advice you have we'll, we'll talk about advice in general but one of the pieces of advice you sent to us is do not do not buy a starter home. So maybe talk about why why you feel that way.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think my, just my views on home ownership have kind of changed after reading uh, some blogs out there. I think with a starter home, you know, you really don't consider all the expenses that go into buying a home. And uh, what you actually get out of it, even if you sell it for a, a quote profit, by the time you know, let's say you buy a house for $120,000 and ten years later you sell it for 150 well, a lot of people assume, well, I made $30,000 off that, but once you, once you take out realtor fees and you know the furnace you had to put in, the new roof, the carpeting, the flooring, whatever, you know, you're you're out a lot of money in the end of that. So I think it's just better to wait and save that money. And apply it to the home you really want to live in, and the one you're going to be in for you know ten plus years
2: at least. Yeah. So when when should somebody buy? I guess maybe when they when they know they're going to stay there for ten plus years.
1: Yeah, I would say you know once you've had your last kid, you know how much room you need. If you're like a, a firefighter, policeman, uh, you know a doctor, teacher, things like that, you know you're probably not going to relocate you know too often. But if you're in a career where you may have to relocate. I don't think buying a house is a, a great idea.
2: Gotcha. So I want to ask you about real estate, just because we're talking about houses now, and, and you have about $200,000 in home equity, so you obviously have some real estate, but how come you haven't bought another home or invested in a syndication or have some sort of other real estate holdings?
1: We, <laughs> about about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, let's say, uh, we bought a, a rental home we kind of fixed it up a little bit and had renters and, and it was nothing but a night. Maybe it was the price point of the home. It was in the lower end, but the tenants we had to evict two tenants and, you know, one of them had to take to court. We, um, my wife got a job offer with another company in Seattle and we moved and we decided, well, we don't want to manage that house. And this was all during this, by this time it was about 2010. So, The market, it was tanked after we bought it. So we lost a bunch of money selling the house at that time. So not only do we have to put up with bad tenants, and I did a lot of work on the house myself, a lot of wasted time and also wasted money. So (laughs) it was just not a good experience Um, being a landlord. I I will never do it again. I know some people have great success with it, but I I have no interest in it. I'd rather have more passive income. And being a landlord is, is, is not passive income.
2: So in that situation w- was the house close to you and it's obviously something you, you self-managed but w- was it a nearby property
1: it was it was like about oh it was like eight miles away it was less than ten miles away
2: gotcha and how long did you end up holding it for oh it was like for three years we held it for and did you did you make any money off sale or did you kind of just get your money back
1: no we we lost we bought it at the height of the market <laughs> so <laughs> And then uh, we sold it when the market was way down still, so we lost money on that sale. I would say about $15, twenty thousand It was just evaporated gone. Plus, plus we had some vacant months with that house uh, where, in between tenants, you know, where we had to kick kick a tenant out who wasn't paying his rent. It was just a complete nightmare.
2: So, how did you find your renters in that situation? Just curious. That's a good question. I don't remember if we posted. On Craigslist or where we
1: posted it? I You know, that was so long ago, I'm not sure. I'd have to ask my wife where we posted that. It's a good question, though.
2: So, Joe, you live in a a $400,000 house. Is that accurate, give or take?
1: Yeah. It's according to Zillow, right.
2: And and your net worth is, is 1.7. So a little less than 25% of your net worth is is in the house. Do you kind of recommend that's what people should do? or Or have you ever thought about moving up or moving down in-house?
1: yeah i i have a son right now who's 14 so once he goes to college if he goes away i i really want to downsize our house because right now we have a house that's we have five bedrooms and there's three of us it's a lot to clean and uh it's we have a nice big backyard it takes a long time to mow so just the older i get the more i realize i want to spend less time doing those things and paying for those things and heating those things and cooling those things so and also it's just I'm a do-it-yourselfer, so and things like painting takes a lot longer, and you have you know much more house than you need. So, so it kind of changed my outlook and views on, on housing a little bit. So,
2: yeah. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you seem like a pretty simple guy, pretty frugal.
1: Yeah, that's. I was discussing with my wife. I I've always been really frugal and a good saver, but probably not a great investor, and that's something I had to learn how to do.
2: Yeah. So some of the books you, you recommend, you told us before the show, the, the Millionaire Next Door, The Simple Plan to Wealth, and then a, a couple of good blogs. How much time a week or a month or whatever, however you want to quantify it, do you think you spend on learning about personal finance and investments?
1: I listen to weekly. I listen to in these three podcasts a week, and I probably read at least probably 10 blog posts a week at least.
2: So that's probably maybe five hours or six hours or so on time, if the podcasts are an hour or 45 minutes mm-hmm. each, give or yeah, take?
1: Probably say, yeah, about six hours a week. Yeah, that's a good good estimate.
2: So before we get into these rapid-fire questions, uh, I, I just want to ask you one of our, our listener uh, questions that someone submitted to us. So. What is your, your safe withdrawal rate or how much do you think you're going to spend in the future? And, and when you stop working, you know, you're you're 45 now, right? Mm-hmm. And you said you kind of wanted to move it down to part-time in about five yeah. years or so. How old, I guess, do you think you're going to live? That's the, you know, the planned withdrawal period, I guess, is what we're asking.
1: We're going to use the 4% rule. Mm-hmm. So, but when we start withdrawing 4% of our assets, I don't know. Because my wife has a pension, also, I'm not sure what the value is or what it's going to pay, but that's something we have we have going for us too down the road too. So it'll be hard to say, and I don't know how much my part time work will supplement us. So, but, so we live pretty simply. So by the time we hit, you know, our target is probably going to be three million before we both completely stop working. I think that's going to be plenty of money for us to simply draw one twenty a year if we need to, but we probably won't even do that.
2: Yeah. So you don't worry so much if I mean even if the stock market were to tank and you know you lose forty or fifty percent, I guess you're still you're still at one point five if you hit that goal of three million.
1: Right. Right. It's it, we may withdraw a little bit less if something like that happens, but we're not going to panic. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do you think this financial security and, and higher net worth and and being a millionaire and, and almost worth two million has that affected your confidence or happiness levels or not so much?
1: I think it does. It's I sure sleep well at night, you know, not worrying about who I owe uh, or how am I going to pay for things. It's just kind of just maybe I take it for granted, too. So I know a lot of people worry about that and don't have that luxury. Yeah, I think it gives, it's, it's just real peace of mind.
2: Yeah, peace of mind and, and knowing that financially, I guess you're taken care of. So let's dive into these uh, rapid fire questions. So the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased?
1: Probably forty dollars for like work pants. That's about it.
2: Okay. Most expensive shoes. The most expensive shoes I purchased were for, for I'm an avid cyclist and competitive cyclist, so
1: I spent like two hundred fifty dollars in a pair of shoes. So. Okay.
2: Awesome. Most expensive car.
1: Well, my wife just bought a a Subaru Ascent. We paid cash for it, and it was about thirty five thousand dollars. And the most expensive car. I've purchased was a Subaru WRX that was back in 2004 for about twenty two thousand.
2: And and we should note that before the show, one of the notes you shared with us is that you always pay cash for your cars, correct?
1: Not always. Um, the The Honda Civic I drive now. After I got rid of the WRX, I wanted something a little bit cheaper, so I got a Honda Civic, and we initially financed it, and then just paid it off. You know, shortly after, so I think we decided, you know, just no more financing. So that was about five years ago. So yeah, we, we bought a string of new cars and that's probably something we could have maybe saved some money on. We maybe bought used cars, cheaper cars or spaced out how often we bought new cars.
2: Yeah. And and just to follow up on the house, to take a break from these rapid fire questions. So it's a $400,000 house, give or take, and you have 200,000 in equity. Why don't you pay off the remaining 170?
1: Because I think We like the idea of just having that cash cushion, that if something did happen to us, if we had a physical ailment, a sickness, something, we could live on that cash alone for quite some time.
2: And what's your interest rate on the mortgage?
1: It's it's under four. It's for
2: like three and a half. Okay, back to the rapid fire. So most expensive meal out that you've paid for?
1: Just for the three of us as a family, about $70. Okay
2: what item or or items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you
1: anything you know quality products anything that's going to last longer for example our our vacuum cleaner we have a mila vacuum and it it wasn't cheap but we bought it 12 years ago and it it works just you know the same as it did brand new and uh, usually vacuum cleaners are just disposable you know you buy one every two three years and they're junk but Sometimes it's, it's worth it to buy things that last, just, you know, buy quality.
2: Wow, that's pretty crazy. That's as much as a, that's as long as my Honda Accord is going to last, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, what's not worth the money or what do you try and, what are you cheaper on?
1: I'm really big on controlling the thermostat. So I think heating, you know, air conditioning, water costs, things like that. Buying the name brand, you know, at the grocery store, things like that, I think is it, is quite wasteful.
2: Okay, what was your, if you can remember, your high school and college GPA?
1: In high school, I was a an underachiever, so my GPA was probably about two and a half. And then in college, it was over three five.
0: Okay,
2: and then last question, your range of household income through your working life?
1: For just me or my wife? Or, or for household, it would be combined.
2: Yeah, two houses. Okay, so...
1: When we started our careers and you know got our real jobs after we graduated college, we were both making twenty six thousand. So we made uh, fifty two combined, and that was uh, you know ninety six, ninety seven around there. And then now we've grossed about one hundred and eighty combined.
0: Well, that's awesome. You guys, y'all you worked very hard. I'm sure to go from fifty grand to uh, upwards of one hundred eighty to get to one point seven million plus in net worth. Joe, if somebody just start now, what advice would you give them? Where do they begin?
1: Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I recommend don't have kids before thirty, and then um, also we limited our kids to we just had one child, so we're able to put them into you know as many activities as they want to just like I said before, buy things, you know, quality base, everything on value. And you should also, you know, find a partner who's on the same page as you, because if you marry a spender, you're probably not going to change them. Mm -hmm. Most important advice is, yeah, I would start as early as you can and be aggressive. Just, um, you know, max out or go as high as you can in your 401k. And, and be aggressive with the VTSAX, you know, with some S&P index, and just go full bore with it.
0: Did you ever get discouraged on the journey to where you are now?
1: No, no. I, I don't think at all. We've, You know, I've been with my same employer for, um, it's, it's going to be only 23 years now, so I've had no gaps in employment, or, you know, so I've made steady uh, income. My life has changed, you know, jobs, but we've, you know, one thing we've been blessed with is uh, health. We both had good health, so we've both been able to work and, uh, you know, so no gaps. I know some people, you know, aren't as fortunate. I can kind of, you know, make them stumble a little bit financially. So we've had that going for us as our health.
0: Awesome, Joe, with a net worth of 1.75 million. Thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. i
2: fun. Thanks, Joe.